Uh, here we are, and uh, we are in a long series on the Holy Spirit. And so, like I'd mentioned, it probably will take the majority of this year or maybe the next decade. I don't know, because the Holy Spirit is above. We've looked at that for seven weeks, and last week we recapped. He is not a force. He is a person who is God, God among us. And so to ignore the Holy Spirit is to ignore God. And how many of you want to ignore God? No, we don't want to. We want to embrace who God is. We want to grow in knowledge of God and experience with God. And so now we're in what to me will be a more personally exciting season of this study because it's one thing to say God is above. We kind of get that, but we're not above. And so what does it have to do with me? Well, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit within, at least through Easter, probably beyond. Here's why. Jesus died and rose again 2,000 years ago, yes or no? Yes. Okay, he did. Were you there? No, no, like you didn't see it. So I just want to state the obvious. You, if you're following the way of Jesus, are following someone you have never seen, you have never heard, you don't know personally. Uh, uh, There's a place where he walked, the Holy Land, we call it, in and around Jerusalem, the land called Israel. Um, How many have been there, by the way? Some of you have been there. We're planning a trip, Lord willing, May of next year. More details on that, to walk in the steps of Jesus together, to be on the Sea of Galilee and hear the stories together, to be on the mountainside where Jesus gives his teaching together, to walk the footsteps in Jerusalem as Jesus is preparing to be crucified. I've been there. I've walked the steps, but I wasn't there when the events happened. Neither were you. So you and I... If you're a little skeptical right now, that's okay. Because you and I are following someone we haven't met, we haven't heard, and we put our trust in him, and we want to experience life in this God to the full that we don't know. How then? How? how, Some of you are like, read the screen, Jose. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, How can this life in God be found and, and grow? How can you encounter God as you're putting the kids to bed? What does it mean for God to live within, to reshape and remold and remake who you are? How how do we actually walk with God? Well, Jesus told us, and this is why we want to give our attention over these next couple of weeks to Jesus' longest teaching. We read it last week. We're going to read it again because I just kept having to skip over all this good stuff. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14, and I'll start with verse 1. We won't read all that we read last time, but we'll read enough of it and and kind of look around it. The Holy Spirit is at work within. Well, what's the setting? John uh, 14, 1 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Do not let your hearts be troubled, which means, let's state the obvious, Jesus perceives that his followers, his closest intimate friends, they've walked 
with him and talked with him and eaten with him and watched him work for three years. They, they know him deeply and he knows them deeply. And he knows that right now their hearts are filled with trouble. Now why, if they're in the presence of Jesus, who is God? Why would their hearts still be troubled? Well, Jesus just told them. We'll go back a few verses in your Bible. If not, I'm going to read so much Bible. We're putting all of it on the screen. Just write down the references and read it later. John 13, 21 says this. After Jesus had said this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and, and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And so his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. So don't let your hearts be troubled. What did he just say? Looking around the room with a dozen, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. So obviously, yeah, their hearts are troubled because they're looking around. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Is it me? Am I, am I going to be the one that's going to betray Jesus? Of course that would throw you on edge, and so they have a troubled heart. But that's not the only reason Jesus said, John 13, So in the same conversation, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Goodbye. Peace out. They're having a meal with Jesus. And he says, one of you, my closest is going to betray me. And then he says, I'm going to go and you can't come. You're not going to be with me. You're not going to see me. And so you got to remember, these young men had left their family, left their jobs, left their life to walk with this rabbi, teacher, miracle worker. And he says, it's the end. Goodbye, guys. Of course their hearts are troubled. Like, wait, well, wait a minute. All of their expectations about what Jesus was supposed to do have now been crushed because someone's going to betray him, so that means it's going to go south, and then he's going to leave them. So, so his life's at risk, and he's going to leave? Is that what's going to happen? So they have a troubled heart. So where's Jesus going, and why is he leaving, and why can't I go? Well, it gets worse, John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you'll follow later, which is kind of hope-filled. Then Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I love his boldness. Like, hey, if you're going, forget these other nobodies. I want to go. And he's, I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. Not once, not twice. Three times. Now, Peter is already known in this group as a leader. So someone's going to be trained. Is it going to be Peter? Because that's what Jesus says. Well, you're going to deny me three times. So someone's going to be trained. Jesus is going to leave and you can't follow. And now the leader of the bunch who says, like they all feel in their soul, because I think we all feel in our soul, so Lord, I'll go wherever you want. I'll do whatever you want. I will not deny you until you're confronted with the truth of Jesus. And he says, well, you're going to deny me three times. So, so they all have a troubled heart. Um, some of you walked in this morning and you can relate to the experience, not the details, because the details are different. But you know what it's like to be in the middle of a room and yet if people could only 
see and perceive what's really going on. Um, one of the interesting things about gathering each week is every week some are rejoicing. Every week some people come in here just like rejoicing in how good God is and other people are barely making it in because life this week has been so hard. And so Jesus knows that his disciples often have a troubled heart because Jesus understands what that's like. If you've read the Gospel of John, you've already read, or if you heard, because in the early days, nobody owned a print Bible. They had scrolls. So you'd come to church, and they would read the scroll of John. And so if you've been listening to the story of Jesus, the true story of his life, you've already seen three times before this dinner that Jesus' heart has experienced trouble as well. And since you haven't memorized all of John yet, I know you're working on it, since you haven't memorized all of it, let's just look at them. John 11, Jesus goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who's died. John 11, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled where have you laid him he asked come and see lord they replied and the shortest verse in the bible jesus wept so jesus is acquainted with moments of trouble his friend lazarus has died and mary the sister and martha the sister they're weeping and the towns come out weeping and he's confronted with death and he doesn't care right no jesus is moved by the experience, even though he knows that he's come to raise him to life. Before he does it and says, Lazarus, come out, he is moved with trouble because it's not the way life is supposed to be. And then again, it happens in the next chapter, John 12. Just turn to the right in your Bible, verse 27. Jesus is thinking about the cross he's about to endure. So, we read John 14 where he's in a room with his disciples and he's talking with them one more meal before he goes. But on the way, verse 27 says, my, now my soul is troubled, what, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so, so Jesus is just struggling and troubled because he knows what's ahead more than anyone else. And yet he does not know experientially what it's going to be like to be stabbed in the side. He does not know what it's going to feel like when you're counting the lashes. 39! And hearing the sound of his flesh being ripped open. He doesn't know what it's like to, after all of that, to carry the weight of his own wooden beam, stripped down and almost naked, falling. He does not know. He's a man, just like us. And so he's deeply troubled. He knows this is why he's come, but he doesn't know. There's one thing to think about the future. There's another thing to live into it, isn't there? to think about trouble, and then to now be on the cusp of it. You 
those of you who haven't studied all semesters the day before finals, like, you know, like, it, trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. But there's another thing to get into the exam room and realize trouble has arrived. I, I'm in trouble now. And we know the tension, so his soul is troubled. And then we already read um, the, the third time. This is at the beginning of the meal, John 13. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So one of you is about to give me up to a horrific death that, that we don't even understand. But he does. So what's trouble? The word trouble, do not let your hearts be troubled, and all of these other words where you saw trouble is the same word. It's not different words. And it means an inner turmoil. It means to be disturbed, unsettled, thrown into confusion. How do you navigate the unknown? How do you navigate what you don't know but you think might happen? How do you work through loss? How do you navigate confusion? How do you go to bed at night after reading the headlines? How, how do you wake up and go to work when you've seen murder and hunger and war? How, how, do, how do we actually make it? There is the human experience of inner trouble and, and turmoil, and we, we are all acquainted with being disturbed and unsettled, and things are not the way that they should be. And Jesus' disciples are in that painful place when Jesus says in John 14, 1, do not let your hearts be troubled because they don't know what's about to happen next. So that's them. Let's get to you. Can you visualize in your own mind a place, a time? I want you to get it in your brain where you move from calm or not concern or just ordinary life or maybe even happiness and joy and you got news that just punched you in the gut. Does it? I think many of us, if not all of us, can, can see the room we can remember what we were wearing. We can remember who was around us. You can smell it. You can smell the coffee in the room or the food that was being cooked, whatever it is. There is something about the human experience where we can somehow grasp the horror of a moment where we went from calm or peace or joy or just neutral and thrown into horror, chaos. Now, that's probably being overly dramatic, but we... We know what it's like to get those moments. I was having coffee this week with a friend here in our church, and I got a phone call, and I knew, immediately I knew this is the call that I've been waiting for. And I, I told some who were here at the marriage of, event that my father-in-law went to be with the Lord. I, he was always a prankster, and he was always a fun-loving guy, and he was a bit on the dramatic side, you know? I say it as a compliment, but, but on Wednesday of this week, which was January 11th, 1-11, he went to be with Jesus at 1-11 p.m. And he's like, ha, 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 I was waiting for this moment. No, he probably wasn't. But, um, but it's just like typical Ray making a moment. But um, I knew because it was the daytime and my wife is working and she's calling, not texting, she's calling. I knew something this, this is it. It has to be. And so there's, there's preparing for loss and then experiencing loss. And they're not the same thing. They're close cousins, but they're not the same thing. 
And so, now, while, while they may not have happened to you this week, I think if you're alive, we can all relate to, oh, I get it, because when I was, and then, we all know what that's going through. Now, this is hard for them. Let's get back to the disciples for a second. This is hard for them. And then Jesus, on top of it, layers, don't let your hearts be troubled, and they're all just gut-punched, because they're still wondering, am I going to deny Jesus? Am I the one? Or is it the guy next to me? And then what's Jesus going to do? Because he had lots of harsh words for people who went against him. So they're still wondering, is it me? And then Jesus says on top of it, John 14, I'll throw it on the screen, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Can you just... Can you just feel the tension here? They're still wondering, am I the one going to deny him? <laughs> like, and Jesus, you're going away, and you said, I can't follow you. Gosh, and, then, and, then, and Peter, he's going to deny you three times, and you're saying, with you gone, go be like me and do what I've been doing. And oh, by the way, what I've been doing on the name of the Father, now you do it. There's one thing to be like mentored into a role, but there's another thing when the keys are in your hands and the title is yours and the responsibility is yours. And Jesus is saying, now it's up to you. All of that is the setting for us to have an honest conversation about what we do when our hearts are troubled. What do I do when my heart is weighed down by things I don't understand and here's the good news. We're looking at, today we're just going to keep it high level. I had written this out and I had all this stuff to say and I realized I'm just going to preach the intro because otherwise this will take three hours. So all you're going to get is this one line, write it down, embed it in your mind, and we'll build on it next week. The Holy Spirit enables us to experience God's life and love. When we think about what it means to receive the Holy Spirit, when, it, when, when the Holy Spirit is not just a person, capital P, God himself, above, but when we realize who he is, we begin to understand that his role is to help us and enable us to experience God's life and love. And this may be, for some of you, like, this is just too simple. But I think sometimes we overlook the, basis, the basics, and then we never tap into all that God has for us. And if we will remember this morning that the Holy Spirit enables us not just to know in our brain. I think some of us know about God, but we, we have fallen short of knowing Him. We know about Him. We know some truths. We heard some stories. We sang some songs. We went to some events. We know about Him. But you're following a Jesus you have not seen, you have not heard, most of you, by the showing of hands, have not even been to where it happened. How do you know it really happened? And how in the world can this ancient death, more than 2,000 years ago, make any difference in my life when my heart is troubled and filled with anguish and sorrow or confusion and pain? We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will enable us. And this is what it means in a big picture to experience the very life of God. And 
experience and know the love of God. And so what we're going to do is remember John 14 through 16, really the end of 13 through 16, is if you think, where does that fit? We've seen what Jesus has done up till then, and right after this, Jesus is going to go to the cross and then rise again. But remember, John's writing a good news account, announcing the news of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, with a view. John is really clear. I'm writing that you will believe. You don't believe. You haven't put your trust in him yet because you don't know him. So I'm writing because I was there, says John. I, I was there. I saw it all. I experienced it all. I want you to know enough that even though you haven't seen, you can believe and you can experience what I've experienced. And so John's writing this, and at the end, John 14, end of 13, 14, 15, 16, is this section where before Jesus goes, he's preparing his disciples to do their work. So as we read, as we hear, as we listen, we got to be reading it with the same view. We've now seen Jesus' life, but now we're his followers, and so we're stepping in, and Jesus is now preparing us to continue the work that he had begun. And, and how do we know and follow God in light of the coming of Jesus? Well, we'll just go back to John 14. We read this last week. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you an other advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit, capital S, of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live if we really love. Do you really love Jesus? If we really love him, Jesus tells us how everyone around will know that we love him. We'll keep his word. We'll listen to his teaching. We'll follow his way. And so now what he's doing, he's preparing us to be his people, right? So how do I know that I really love him? They not only walked with him, but they heard him. Lots of people walked with him. Lots of people heard his words. Lots of people followed. Lots of people ate bread when he broke the bread and broke the fish. Lots of people experienced the miraculous. They were in the room. They were on the road. They saw it. They did it. But they didn't really love him. How do you love him? You hear him. And then you internalize what he said with a view that you're actually going to do what he said and avoid what he says avoid. Why? Because he's better and he's wise. This is what it means to follow him. But the problem that we have and the problem that people getting John's good news account is that they didn't see him. But Jesus promised and prepared that we would be able to know what he says and do what he says and live like these original disciples. And the word here is the advocate. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. So the Holy Spirit enables us to experience the, the life of God and the love of God. How do I know that I know that I know that I'm in God? When I didn't see him, I wasn't there, I didn't experience it. And Jesus tells these disciples, who are going to tell other disciples, who have now told us 2,000 years later, 
we have an advocate. When I think of the word advocate, I don't know, you know, you say a word and it comes to mind in different ways for different people. I immediately think of, for whatever reason, when I hear advocate, I think activist. My mind goes to, like, you know someone who's really passionate about a product and they just can't stop talking about it. They're not a paid sponsor, but they just love their whatever it is so much that they keep going on and on and on about it. They're, they're, they invite people in. They tell people to buy it or they give it away. Whatever it is, whether it's a product or whether it's a cause, have you met someone who's just like over the top, ridiculously connected to something? Like, oh, calm down. You know, I'm not as interested as you. But I think of an advocate as like someone who's just passionate. The problem with words is I can have my idea of what it means. It doesn't mean that's what it means. So what does it mean, actually, when we say that the Holy Spirit is the advocate? Well, the word here is parakletos, which we, in English, have probably heard the word before, is the Holy Spirit is a paraclete, which is a very interesting word. It's a very nuanced word. It's a very specific word. And Jesus uses it five times in these chapters to describe who the Holy Spirit is. And the advocate is the one who appears on another's behalf. They're a mediator. They're an intercessor. They're a helper. Some of your Bibles have the word the Holy Spirit is a helper. Many of our English translations have advocate. They used to use the word in older English translations of comforter. But the problem with comfort in today's English is it's almost therapeutic. Like he's a pat you on the back, have a lollipop, you know. He's going to brew you a cup of tea. He's a, now he does provide comfort, but the, the words have meaning and meaning has words. And so, so if you want to get accurate, in, in Jesus' day, a paraclete was actually a legal aid. And so when you went to a court of law and, and you had to represent yourself, you might not know the law as well as the law should be known. You might not know what to say. You might not know the procedures. You might not be able to bring your case before the judge in the most accurate way possible, but, but a paracletos an advocate was a legal aide who could speak on your behalf, who could negotiate for you, who could just assist you, help you, just to make sure that you were able to go and, and plead your case in the best way possible in today's words. This, this, this person's on my legal team. Now, I'm before the judge. It's my case. But, but, the, but the paraclete knows what to do. And so... Is, is Jesus just narrowing, narrowly using this as, as, as the Holy Spirit's a court officer? No, but I think he's pulling on something when we think about our life with God. The Holy Spirit enables us to experience, not just know, but actually experience the life of God and the love of God. So five times, we're just going to look at this really quick, and we'll pull more on it next week. Are you with me? Five times. First, John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus says another advocate. So the problem is, well, so there's more than one advocate? Actually, yes. John, same writer, tells us in his letter, 1 John 2, I won't put it on the screen. Dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have a parakletos, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen. 
Jesus is your advocate. And that's why Jesus came. To bring us into the presence of God. To lift us out of our sin. To present us as holy and blameless before the Father. Even though we have sinned, Jesus in his sacrifice becomes our advocate. And so if we do sin, we have one who stands with us and who provides what, what we cannot provide. He provides holiness to sin-filled people. He provides righteousness to people who are living in the wrong. Jesus is our advocate. And so Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm your advocate. But I'm not leaving you without an advocate. I'm not going to leave you. Now, I'm not giving you comfort like a pillow or tea. No, I'm giving you all that you need. And he's the spirit of truth. He's, he's going to be in you and with you forever. All right, the second one uh, that we see is in John 14, 26. But the advocate whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the advocate is the spirit of truth. So I'm going to get back to, okay, what do we do with the reality that we didn't see him, we weren't there, we are not eyewitnesses of what God did in Jesus. We're not direct eyewitnesses. So how am I going to experience the love of God and the life of God? Well, this Holy Spirit, whom the Father is sending in Jesus' name, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're all working in unison for you to experience God's life and love. And Jesus is your advocate because Jesus did endure the cross and suffered on our behalf, and he, was di he died and he was buried and he rose again. And he's the one who can bring life to anyone who will follow him. But the Spirit is just like Jesus in that Jesus just said a few verses prior, I am the way and I am the truth and I'm the life. So Jesus, who is the truth, Jesus, who is the life, has now given us another one who is truth-filled, which is why Jesus could say, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. Jesus was not just the Lord he was their friend. He was their leader. He was their role model. He was like, they'd given up everything to follow because they, and catch this, they knew him. He wasn't a theory. He wasn't a religious idea. He wasn't a set of principles. God, we don't need a set of principles because every one of us already made a commitment on January 1 that we have broken. You do not need more principles because you don't have the power to fulfill those principles. All of us have failed in the big and in the small. We all make promises we cannot keep. But what if you were walking with Jesus into Intel tomorrow, which is really your home, your like bedroom, you know, with a background to cover up your real background. What if you were with Jesus as you walked into school tomorrow and knew that, man, most people, the only time they mention them is with a swear and they don't care. And I'm the weirdo who's who I really following him, but nobody else is. And why isn't everyone else to be so great? How come nobody loves him? What if Jesus were really with you like he was with Peter and James and John? And what Jesus is saying, we have to come to grips with. I'm not going to leave you. You're not an orphan. You're not getting less than me when I leave. And as a matter of fact, 
I'm going to come back and physically be with you again, but when I go, you will not be without me. How? The advocate will come. Third time, uh, John 15, 26, and 27. When the advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. Boy, this is crazy stuff. It's amazing. He's from the Father, comes from the Father, sent by the Son. He will testify about me. And now Jesus goes another level. You also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. So John had just told them, what I've been doing, you're going to go do. And so he says to these early disciples, you're going to actually share the words I've been sharing, and, and you're not going to be doing it on your own. The Holy Spirit is going to be testifying. You see the play on words? He's, he's the advocate. He understands the case. He knows what you need. He understands you completely. He understands the trouble that you're in, and he's going to come. And he's going to bring me into the situation. The fourth one, John 16, 7. Truly I tell you, it's good. It's for your good that I'm going away. Not. It is not good. Jesus says it, but this does not sound good. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so he's like, guys, like you got to trust me. It's actually, it's better that I go. Which does not sound right. But Jesus is right and he speaks the truth. He's going to send someone to do the Father's work now through them. This is good news. The Spirit is here. Now, where are we reading this from? Got to remember the lens. We're reading this after John writes it, which is probably about 60 plus years after Jesus walked on the earth. So there's a whole generation of people who have now been born and in the church who never met Jesus. Jesus, face to face. He's writing that you would believe. How can you lean in on what the person who gets up when they gather on the Lord's Day and begins to read from the Bible and speak, how do you know that that's trustworthy and true? Remember, there's no Google searching. There's no fact checking. No one even, they have a few scrolls. Some churches have pages they don't even have the whole thing. How do you know this is from God? It is the advocate. It is the spirit who's bringing the truth of God to all of us. And, and then finally, the last one that Jesus says, and we'll come back and look at these over the next few weeks. John 16, 12 through 15, he says, I have so much more to say to you, more now than you can bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, says Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, says Jesus. Everything you're hearing has been given to me from the Father. That's why I said, the Spirit you will receive from me, what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit is sharing the truth of God. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He's an advocate. And, and I can now, I'm enabled to experience the life of God and the love of God. So we can't say with honesty, because I've thought this before, Lord, I love being in this day and age because there are more opportunities to enjoy coffee than they had in Jesus' day. I mean, you have AeroPress, you have Mocha Pot, you have Chemex, you have Espresso, you have, you have, you have all of these 
various ways. You can, you can measure down to the gram. You can get the water at the right temperature. It could be as God intended it to be, right? <laughs> it could be that good. Back in the day, they were drinking Folgers or whatever that is. Like, they, they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Now I have access to all of this. So I love living in this day. Don't get me wrong. But Lord, I wish I was with you because if, see, like, man, Peter had the advantage because you were there. Not. We can't say it with integrity. Because everything that the Father had given, he'd been given to the Son. And the Son says, I'm going to make all of it known to you because the Holy Spirit will not only be with you post-resurrection when he sends the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, you will all be filled with me, the Holy Spirit. This is mind-blowing stuff. How does Father, Son, and Spirit bring the life of God to us? I don't totally get it. Here's what I know. Jesus said, you have every advantage those early disciples had because the Spirit is keeping us from being orphaned. The life of God is with you. So let's just recap it. I want you to see, I just literally pulled out what Jesus said in all five of these instances and put it on one, one slide so you could take a photo or do whatever and get this ingrained. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is within us? He will help you and be with you forever. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I, Jesus, have said to you. He will testify. He will speak the truth about me, says Jesus. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit enables us to experience God's life and God's love. All of that to the statement that, that Jesus says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. If only life were that easy, <laughs> like, right? But my heart is troubled. And in light of my trouble, and in light of your trouble, when we think about what it means to live a life, understanding and embracing the Holy Spirit, we realize that in our trouble, all of these things are true. So let me just ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of right now? What has gripped your heart? What is consuming your time and your attention? What's taking your emotional energy? What's gripping you? What's causing acid to just go up and down on the inside because something is just not right? What keeps you from experiencing the joy of God because the cloud is so heavy? Yes, we will have moments of trial, and yes, we will have moments of trouble, but in the middle of that, I want us to hear the promise you have if you have chosen to hear this good news that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes or trusts in him will never perish but have eternal life. If you have put your whole trust and whole hope on Jesus, yes, your heart may be troubled, but don't discount God's presence in your life. Don't discount that God is not out there. He's with you now, I won't put it on the screen, but there's this beautiful quote on this passage about Jesus' five advocate messages by one of the commentators. He's amazingly good. D.A. Carson is his name. Quote, the Spirit is to be experienced. Otherwise, the promise of relief from the sense of abandonment is empty. Spirit is not just a title of God. The Holy Spirit is is not just an ethereal force as some of us, for whatever reason, imagine and think. 
The Spirit is God to be experienced. Why? Because Jesus promised he wouldn't leave us without him. And so we want to grow in living differently. How are people going to know that we belong to Jesus? Jesus said it clearly. If you love me, you'll actually obey my, my teaching. You will live different. You'll think different. You'll see a vision of the world that's different. And, 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 and this is not a setup for failure. Because I know what you're thinking. What I'm thinking is like, Jose, I've been trying to do this for 30 years and still stumbling along. But I really, in my heart, do love him. Then be of good courage. The Holy Spirit is already within you if you belong to Jesus. And what he's trying to do is produce and help you to experience the life of God and the love of God. So this is not bad news where it's like, okay, Jesus loves you. Figure it out. Woman up. Man up. Make it happen. Good luck. Jesus is coming soon. Look ready. No. It is you will have power. Why? God, the Holy Spirit, will be in you. And if I begin to approach my life and my trouble with that in view, and remember, I'm not an orphan. I haven't been abandoned by God. Even though my trouble seems so big, I have not been let go by God. He's got a hold of me. It's not that I got a hold on God. No, he has a hold on me. And that puts a totally different perspective on you and I actually obeying because no longer can we say, or are we going to give the cop out of, well, maybe someone else can, but I can't. Yes, you can. You can walk in the way of Jesus, and you can honor God with your life, and you can continue what Jesus has been doing here, now. This is our calling, friends. And so it begins by receiving. Today, I'm inviting you to receive to receive what you need from God, God the Holy Spirit, because some of us, we just walked in and our hearts are heavy and troubled. So now we're gonna gonna build on this because there's a lot that we want to receive. We're gonna look carefully at what it means to obey Jesus' commands and, and to embody the fruit of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna discern what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? What does that look like? How do I know that I... Am seems to be confusion, but it's actually not confusing. We're going to look at when Jesus said the work you're going to be doing is the same work, and collectively it's going to be greater, and it's not going to be about you. It's going to give glory to my Father because all around the world, 24-7, my presence will be made known in the world because of you. What does it mean to actually live that way? Could God have things that he wants to do in my life that I haven't thought about? Does he want to use me in ways I don't even want to be used in? Does he have more in store for me? All of this is, is where we're headed, but let's just begin at the beginning. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Today, whatever you're going through, let's receive. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, and we want to experience the life of God. And if you're at home, I don't want you to check out. I want you to really tune in like, Focus in because it's easy whenever you're in transition from a message to music to miss 
the moment. And I don't want that for you. I, some of you know this more than others. The only solution to the trouble in our heart and heaviness in our heart is the presence of God. And here's the good news. Because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower, is already in you. But some of us need to experientially receive the life of God, which is whatever I need in this moment, I receive that grace and that goodness from him. And if your heart is just heavy and burdened, good news. God brought you here to remind you that he is with you when you walk in. He's been with you while you've been singing. He's been with you while you've been seated. And now he wants to help you experience his life and his love. And it's possible because the Holy Spirit is just like when Jesus was here and fleshed, walking the earth, the realness that people experienced of God's presence is still available in full because God has not left us alone. Now, the challenge is, I make a statement like that, and some are just still, that can't be possible. It is. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you, we invite you now to come. Lord, you know the trouble, you know the pain, you know the heartache, you know the circumstance, you know the sin, you know the rebellion, you know the disappointment, you know the memories, you, you're well acquainted with everything we've been going through, all that we are, all the stuff, and God, we're just, we're asking you, Holy Spirit of God, to bring the life of God into our human experience, the love, the joy, the peace, and all that comes with a life that's filled with you. God, we don't just want to know about you. We want to know you. Your disciples got to see you and understand you in ways that the world did not. But Jesus, you promised the Spirit would make that real in our day and age. And so we're asking for more, more of our awareness of how great you are more of our awareness of what you've come to do. Lord, we don't want to be ignorant. We want to live lives that are full, filled with you. So God, we're not promising anything that we can't even keep. We're just saying we want to make space for more of you. Lord, would you, would you come in ways that we can't explain and bring the life of God and the love of God to our very space right here, right now, or at home in each room, would you do this out of your kindness, we pray.